right. So as our parents age, we often see things that concern us and we question if they're still managing without needing help. So tonight on Money Matters, we're talking about how we can help our parents with their finances. And of course, uh, we're joined, as we are every week, by Certified Financial Planner at Core Wealth, Kirsty Scully. Uh, Kirsty, you've written an article about this very subject. Is it something that concerns a lot of people? Yes, you know, Sarah Jane, it, it is. Um, and, and I think we, you know, just, I, I quite enjoyed what you were saying about, about parents and, and how, how these things do concern us. But, you know, money is a very tricky thing, okay? And as our parents get older, we kind of, we have to realize that they're going to need some help um, quite often. And that can be with their finances. Obviously, it can be as many things, but, but in particular, we're talking about our finances here. But at the same time, it's very important that they maintain their independence. And I feel quite strongly about that. Um, but and so we, we do certainly need to help them to maintain the independence while still helping them. Absolutely. So when, when do you think is the time to step in and, and when is the most appropriate time, I guess, also for the first discussion? Yeah. Well, if I generalize, and of course this is a huge generalization here, when we turn in the region of around about 40 years of age, it tends to be that a lot of our parents are turning in the region of 70. You know, there's that sort of age difference. Um, and I think it's at that sort of stage that you need to be looking at your parents and having a fair idea of what their finances are like. Um, you need to understand how they are managing their finances. Are they keeping it under control or are there any warnings? signs and warning signs could be things like they're not paying accounts or you know it could be medical bills that sort of thing that they're not uh, keeping up with or they're getting phone calls from creditors which are basically saying come on come on what's happening when are you paying or maybe they even just got some very unusual spending patterns and we need to be looking into that sort of thing um, for those of us who've got parents who've perhaps got investments I think it's very important that you maybe just have a little bit of a glimpse at those statements and just have a look at the fee structures that are be, being charged because I think it's very important that they're not being charged high fees and that you are ensuring that they're not being ripped off at any stage. Yeah, of course. It, mm. It's a difficult one though, Kirsty. I mean, how does one start that discussion? I think you've got to be, you know, a discussion like this is something which has got to be quite an intimate discussion. So, you know, I mean, let's face it, our finances are very private Mm. and especially older people, they tend to not want to, you know, they don't want the whole world to know about everything. So I think it's a very intimate conversation that you have. What I generally would say is bring a sibling in if you've got a sibling in. Uh, If you've got a sibling, you know, have at least your your, your sibling or maybe if there's one or two of you, but don't involve the whole family. Mm. So make sure that it's you. You know, you kind of there at their at their home or whatever it is, and the children are not all around or anything like that. Yeah, I'm talking young children here. Mm. You know that it's a, a very quiet sort of discussion that you can have. I think what's important with the whole discussion is that your parents realise that you are trying to look out for them. You're not trying to look after them. Mm. Okay, mm. your role is there to really be able to preserve their dignity and help them with that and you need to be able to tread lightly to ensure that you're actually showing them respect when you're dealing with their finances. With that in mind then, the fact that we are trying to keep it a quiet and an intimate discussion, should we bring in an expert opinion? 
I would always suggest that you you do involve whoever their financial planner is. Um, get him or her in on the picture so that, you know, you, because they'll also have a good idea of what's happening in the finances. If your parents don't have a financial planner, speak to your friends or speak to your colleagues. Find out, you know, who they recommend, who's a good certified financial planner in your area, and um, try and incorporate them. Remember that a certified financial planner is very knowledgeable on how to set about with budgets, um, how to do, you know, how to deal with just general financial planning concerns. And also make sure the person is an independent financial planner because then what they can do is they can give you a very um, objective view of the situation. They can look, for example, at the investments and check out what the fee structures are and check that they are basically invested at the most appropriate places from a fee structure perspective. You know, I can say outright that generally when we're looking at the large life insurance companies, they are much more expensive on their fees than the more modern um, investment companies that we use. So, so there are ways to save your parents money money on fees if they're using the, as I call them, the more modern investment companies. Mm, mm. If you are just joining us, uh, we're joined by Kirsty Scully, Certified Financial at uh, Core Wealth. And we're talking uh, this evening about uh, helping out your parents or, or looking out for your parents uh, when it comes to their finances. If you have a question uh, or a comment to make, then uh, do please get in touch with us. 021-446-0567. Perhaps you're concerned uh, about uh, your own parents' finances or would like a little bit of advice uh, as to how about uh, making sure that they are uh, safe and secure when it comes to money, uh, then do get in touch with us here in studio and chat to Kirsty. Uh, you can also SMS 31567 uh, or you can WhatsApp 0725671567. There's obviously a very broad range of topics that that, that would go into uh, discussions that one may have with their parents about money, but what would be the number one priority mm. well you know as with anybody in in my mind your number one priority is to ensure that your will is in place okay so check to see that your parents have got a will now some people don't even want their children to see what's written in their will and you know just for privacy purposes okay we have to understand that and respect them for that but the point then is to say to them well when was your will written? Is it up to date? Just check that the, you know, the, the beneficiaries, for example, are still all alive. I think that's very important. Um, and just check when, when it was written. You know, some, I, I mean, I actually received a will from somebody the other day, and it was kind of written in 1970. It is so out of date. The, the, the jargon that is used, it's actually quite difficult to understand what it's, uh, you know, what it's trying to say. And the way we write wills now is a very much more modern way of writing them it's much more it's, it's much more simple and therefore easier to understand and I would really recommend that a will is is kept up to date so that it is written in sort of modern day terms as such mm. um, the other thing to look at on the will is who is the executor now this is very important again I came across this, this particular will I was talking I was talking about the will the, the executor is, is actually now somebody who's about 85 years of age now with all due respect, that is too old to be the executor on the will because there's a hang of a lot of work that, that has to be done and you need to have somebody who is able to manage the will. Remember, the executor is the person who winds up the estate. They, they are the administrator. They do all the administration, closing the accounts, selling property, all that sort of thing. So it is important that you use a professional as the executor 
um, so that they can actually deal with all the intricacies, intricacies of the actual will because um, there's a huge amount of work when it comes to winding up the estate. Mm. You know, a lot of people, they put down their spouses as the executor. Now, again, often when people pass away, they, they're quite a bit older. It means the spouse is also pretty old. And I would really, again, not recommend that you just use a spouse because a spouse, as I say, could either be too old or, and, or in most cases, the spouse actually has no idea how to even start with winding up the estate. And what would happen is they would have to then sign somebody over as the executor and you just delaying the whole process. Um, in, in my experience, m- uh, many financial planners actually take on the role of executorship. For example, I, I'm, an, I'm an executor on about 99% of my clients who stay. Mm. Why? They've trusted me with their finances while they're alive, so they're going to trust me when they pass away. And of course, I know the family, so I would know exactly how things would need to be transferred and, and you know, ensure that the will is up to date as sure. far as that goes. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Okay, so number one uh, then is uh, having, uh, having a will in place. Just remind us where one can go to have a will drawn up. We've spoken about wills in the past, of course. Mm. Okay, a certified financial planner can draw up a will. Alternatively, speak to your attorney. An attorney does that sort of work as well. And in fact, an attorney is very good to use, especially if it's a very complicated um, will. The other option is you can go to your bank. A bank will draft a will and, and they will also store it for you. But just in my experience, um, what we have found is that the banks tend to take way longer to wind up an estate than an attorney does or a certified financial planner. Um, so I, I, I would really recommend that you perhaps don't use a bank to do it. I would, I would certainly go first to a financial planner to do it. Um, and then the other thing that a lot of people say is, oh, but I don't want to pay anybody to draft a will. Well, sure enough, you can go and get a will drawn up for free. That is a possibility, but I'm just going to say one thing here. Pennywise, pound foolish. Mm. Okay. Now, let's talk about parents. If they're married in community of property, um, do they have a joint will or can they each or should they each have a will? You know, it's funny that you ask me that because that question I get asked so often, um, you know, especially people who are married in community of property. And what you have to remember is that your marital status has got nothing to do with your will or no bearing on, on the actual drafting on the, of the actual will. So okay. um, whether you're married in community of property or whether you're married out of community of property or even those in the sort of more younger generation who are married using the accrual system, they can choose to have one joint will or they can choose to have um, separate wills. However, what I'm going to say here is I prefer separate wills. And my reasoning is this. Once the first spouse dies, that will gets lodged with the master of the court. Okay, And the original is held by the master of the high court. So therefore, when the second spouse dies, the executor at that stage has to go to the master of the court and apply for a certified copy of that will. And just from my experience, it just takes so long to do all of that. And what, what's happening when you do that is you delay the appointment of the executor. And then ultimately, it means it's going to take longer to wind up the estate. Okay. So that is why I recommend two separate wills. What is a letter of wishes? Some people talk about a letter of wishes. Is that the same thing? Is that interchangeable with a will? 
It's not the same as a will. It is something that can be used in conjunction with a will. So you must still have a proper will. Okay. Now, a letter of wishes is generally used to specify certain things. And often it's just maybe your smaller little items that you have, um, you know, in, uh, in, in your home that you want, that you want to leave for particular people. So, for example, you could say, I would like to leave my laptop for my grandson. Okay, something like that. Or it, you could also say something like, um, I'd like to leave, um, I'd like to ask my friend Susan Jones to look after my animals in the event of my death. So those sort of smaller requests as such, okay. Um, but a letter of wishes is a very good thing to write. Also, the other time I find people use it, and it's quite good, is if you've got particular requests for something like your funeral, okay, you might want to say, I would like three hymns to be sung, or I'd like to have How Great Thou Art mm. sung at my funeral, that mm. sort of a thing, you know. Um, you can actually specify that in a letter of wishes. So you're just telling your family that's what you would like. Okay, good stuff. Mm. Uh, if you're just joining us this evening, uh, welcome to the show. I'm Sarah Jane King, and this is Late Nights on Cape Talk. We're talking, talking to uh, Certified Financial Planner at Core Wealth, Kirsty Scully, about uh, assist, assisting our parents uh, with their finances as they enter into old age. Uh, and if you have a question, perhaps you would like some advice, then do give us a call on 021-446-0567. Uh, maybe this is something that you and your siblings, your partner have been thinking about. How uh, do you broach the topic of uh, looking out for your parents when it comes to their finances? Uh, you can also SMS 31567 or drop us a WhatsApp, WhatsApp to 072-567-1567. So, Kirsty, should we encourage our parents to have a living will? And again, we've spoken about living wills on the show a few times before. Mm. Yes, we have. I, I'm very much in favour of having a living will. I think it's a good thing to have. Um, you know, a living will actually allows someone to talk for, for them when they're unable to speak for themselves. So, you know, let's bear in mind it is not a legally binding document, okay? But what it does really is it helps to inform the doctors and the family of what your parents' requests are in the event that they... Um, you know, it, it talks really about prolonging life mm. or not prolonging life with medical treatment. So, so let's use an example. If your parents have been in a serious accident, okay, and they are now in a per- permanent vegetative state, or one of them is, and they are being kept alive um, on, a, on a ventilator, or maybe it's something like a dread disease that they have, and they are now unconscious, but being kept alive on a ventilator. Basically, what a living will does is it allows to say to your doctors or your family, please, I do not want to be kept alive on a ventilator. Medicate me so that I do not feel any pain and then switch off the machines and allow me to pass away peacefully. So that's Mm. what a living will allows you to do. Okay. Is it Mm. important that people consider um, implementing a power of attorney for their parents? I, yes, I, I do that. Um, in fact, I do it for, for many of my clients, put, put together a power of attorney. And um, the reason why is because it's an ideal thing to have in the event, say, for example, your parents end up in hospital for whatever reason, and maybe they've got some transactions which are taking place at the time. Maybe it's a sale of a property, for example. It will allow whoever the person's got the power of attorney um, to actually then sign off the documents on their behalf. However, and here's like a big however, um, I think it's very important to state that a power of attorney 
can only be used when a person is of sound mind. Okay. Mm. Now, what I'm talking about here is that you can only act, uh, act on behalf of your parents with your with the power of attorney if they are if they don't have something like dementia or Alzheimer's or even sometimes it's strokes that affect them or Parkinson's or another chronic illness of the mind, um, you can only use the power of attorney if they don't have any of those things, okay, those, those illnesses. Mm. So in my mind, it's actually a huge flaw in our legal system, quite frankly, that you can't do this. It, it, it overseas, in America and all that, they all have power of attorneys and they can be used with things like dementia. Yes. In South Africa, we can't. Um, so it is a bit of a problem. Um, in fact, it's been challenged by, it was challenged a number of years ago by the Law, uh, the law Reform Commission. I think it was in 2001. But sadly, no concrete um, steps have actually been changed to amend our law, although I know that there is a lot of work being done around it. But, so it's just important to know that you cannot use a power of attorney if your parent's mind is not still, still right. Um, so, so I think, yeah, it, it has actually made it very, very difficult for financial institutions to make changes with investments and all that sort of thing um, when, when the par- parents are not able to make those decisions themselves. Uh, what can then be done for, for our parent who may have a diminished mental capacity? Mm. There are a few different things. Um, quite expensive. Firstly, you can opt for curatorship. There's also something called administration, and then there's other, something else which is a setting of, of special trusts. Um, generally speaking, in my experience, people tend to go for curatorship, um, and what a curatorship is is, is, is is when we appoint a curator bonus. That's the name of a legal representative that you've got to appoint. Okay, so now there are many attorneys who specialize in this area. This is not, if I'm just going to say straight away now, this is not my area of expertise. But basically, an attorney is there to be the the curator and run the curatorship. And what they've got to do is they've got to apply to the high court. Okay, application gets made there. It is, as I say, a very expensive process, can be up to about 60,000 rand to implement this whole thing. And the reason why it is so expensive is because of all the professionals that you have to have involved in setting up the curatorship. You've got to have an attorney, you've got to have an advocate, you've got to have two medical professionals proving that the person is not medically, uh, medically able to, to continue with you know, running their own finances. And one of those medicals has got to be a psychiatrist. So so it does become quite an expensive thing to do, but it's, you unfortunately have to do that if they have diminished mental capacity. Okay. Um, we've had a message in from Linda. Thanks very much, Linda, who says, what happens if a spouse dies without a will? Does the living spouse inherit everything? Ah, now this is something that I know that we've covered before on wills. Mm-hmm. Just is it? Can you, can you just succinctly answer Linda's question, uh, Kirsty? Yeah, um, Linda, it's it's a huge concern when somebody dies with, without a will, um, and the reason why is because the um, assets can therefore go to people that they didn't really want it to go to, um, and you, you know it could it could literally be split kind of to, to places where, where it wasn't really desired. But generally speaking, what will happen is the remaining spouse will get a portion of the money or the investments, whatever it is, and then the children will also get. So it will be split between the spouse and the children. And of course, that is a huge concern, especially when the children are actually still young. Because, for example, husband dies and the, rem- the money that's left gets split between the wife and the kids. 
but hold on, it's the wife who's got to manage those kids. Mm. Um, and that becomes a huge problem because quite often then the, the money that's gone to the kids is then held by the guardian's trust, which means she doesn't have easy access to that money and she actually can't afford to manage the family in the way, in the sort of lifestyle that they have become accustomed to. Mm. So I can just say it once again, people get a will drawn up, even if it's the most basic will. Um, make sure that you've got a will to, to specify who should be inheriting. Okay, there we go. Thanks very much uh, for that message, uh, Linda. So, Kirsty, if a parent dies, which documents then will be required by the executor for, for winding up the state? I imagine that there are uh, quite a number um, and, yeah... <laughs> Mm. There are hordes of documents that, that, that I need when I wind up in the state. So what I always say to, to families is um, try and put together some sort of like, I use a flip file because I quite like those clear pages. I think it's quite nice to use, but you, any type of file. Um, if you are starting to look after your parents' money um, or, or, or assets, whatever it is, you know, they could have their own filing system, but there's probably going to be years of paperwork that's in that filing system. You need a file which is just got the very basics, uh, you know, the, the kind of like the top copy of everything. You don't need years of statements. So things like you've got to have a copy of the ID, copy of passports, um, birth certificates, marriage certificates, divorce certificates, things like that, bank statements. And again, when it comes to bank statements, just have one copy of each, you know, showing which bank it is, what the account number is. You don't need reams of, of pages of it. Just, just the front copy is fine. Things like policy documents. If there's a life insurance policy, Make sure you've got the front copy which shows, shows which company it is and what the policy number is. If they've got any investments, make sure you know what the contract number is. Um, if they own cars, have, it, have the title deeds of the cars. Um, if they own property, have the title deeds of the properties there. Things like most people have got a pension fund. Well, you need to have a pension fund number. Um, medi- if you've got a medical aid, what is it, which medical aid is it? What is the medical aid number? Um, Definitely a copy of the will that you must have that there. Somebody needs to have the original will. Um, tax, if I just think about people's tax, we need to know that the tax is up to date or isn't it up to date. So what is their tax number or who is their tax consultant? Um, something else that I kind of came across recently, this is a client I'm just thinking of, I've been dealing with recently, is they, they were members of a couple of sports clubs. clubs. So, have note uh, note of that so we know where to go and close down memberships. If they rent a property, we have a copy of the rental agreement. And then there is one big thing that I cannot stress enough. Get them to put down one page of all their passwords. Because honestly, mm. if you don't have the passwords, it becomes an absolute nightmare. And those passwords must be held somewhere safely so that at least... You can get to them if desperate, if, you, if, if something happens to them. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Oh, the passwords. I, I, I was reading yeah. a story, I think it was earlier this week, where $93 million or something was locked up somewhere because of a, a missing password. Sure. Yes, it's a Bitcoin story. Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. Mm. I think I've paraphrased it horribly there. Um, mm. Is there anything that uh, we should look at with regards to our parents' medical schemes that's important? Yeah. I think familiarize yourself. You need to have an understanding for what what is going to cover because when they get ill and you start having to 
you know, follow up with these medic, medical aid companies. It's quite a tough job. There's a lot of work that gets done there. Um, you need to be quite familiar with it. And make sure that your parents are keeping up to date with sending in their medical bills. Because medical bills do go stale, which, which no, is normally after around about four months, okay? And if you haven't submitted it by then, then they're not going to pay it. Mm. So, so just be, be, you know, be very aware of it. But on the note of medical, medical aids, medical schemes, whatever you want to call them, um, this is something that people really underestimate is the cost of medical bills as their parents start, you know, medical expenses, I should say, as their parents age. Um, it just gets more and more expensive as they get older, and, and it needs to be budgeted for. Um, we need to bear in mind that healthcare costs are, are, are going up by sort of 9 or 10% at least each year, um, and that needs to be built into their budgeting. Um, as an, and as an example, women, funny enough, actually tend to spend about 7% more in healthcare expenditure because they generally outlive their mm. men by a number of years. Yeah, yeah, that makes mm. sense. There's another issue that uh, obviously um, can, can be quite a sensitive one, and that is whether our parents should stay in their own home, uh, perhaps with a caregiver, or move, if they can afford to, into retirement village. Uh, w- what are your thoughts on this, Kirsty? Mm. Well, you know, everybody's going to have their own opinion. So whatever I say, I'll probably be shot down on. But, <laughs> but the point is that there, there's two very clear options. Now, the first one is to stay in your own home. Okay, and a lot of people love to do that because that's where they're familiar um, with that, that environment. They're comfortable with that environment, and then what you can do is bring in a, bring in a living carer to to live there. All right, that's one option. The other option is to move into a retirement village. And what I love about that is that it opens up a whole new social network for people. Um, I've seen with my parents how they've moved into a retirement village and how they love it and have just got a whole new social network and it's really great. But what can cause parents um, quite a bit of anxiety is that there can be a sort of more frequent turnover of staff in something like a retirement village. But I think one of the biggest concerns when it comes to retirement villages or moving our parents into a new, new home is the fact that so many people just leave it far too late in life and then you end up having to move your parents totally against their wills at a time that is not suitable for them Mm. and for this reason this is a discussion that you need to have with your parents way before the main discussion on finances and in fact I'm going to actually state you need to have this discussion with your parents before your parents are about 55 years of age. Wow. Now, that's quite young. Whoa, I'm way too late. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Now, my reason for saying this is because if you would like, if if, if people are wanting to get into the top retirement villages, if your name is not down by the age of about 55, you're unlikely to have your first choice in retirement village because the, the, the good retirement villages, as I can say, especially here in Cape Town, the really good ones are their waiting lists are extensive and people are not getting into those retirement villages of their first choice because they leave it too late to put their names down. So I want to encourage people, get your name down by about the age of 55, um, kind of latest, because then you are most likely going to be able to get your first choice in retirement village. And that is a hard thing to do because a lot of people at 55, they, they feel like they're still spring chickens, you know, they're still... Absolutely. Life sort of thing. Why would they be thinking of retirement village? But you need to think of 
very much the future. I'm not saying, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying move into a retirement village at 55. I'm saying just get your name down on the list so that when you are ready to move in, you can get your first choice. Let's talk about money. How do people cope with the cost of frail care? Because from what I gather, it is enormously expensive. It is. It is enormously expensive. Um, you know, if you if you are in the need of frail care, if you need in, if even if you're staying in your own home and you bring in a nurse, a nurse to look after you, you're looking at uh, in the region of twenty to closer on thirty thousand rand a month sure. to have a full time twenty four hours um, a day nurse. Um, and that generally involves more than one nurse because they can't work 24 hours a day. You've got to have them, and then it's going to cost you in the region of 30,000 rand a month. Now, that's quite a lot of money because over and above that, you're still paying for your normal household expenses as such. <sighs> On the other hand, if you end up in frail care in a retirement villages, village, most of them are in the region of about 25. There's some which are quite a bit higher. Yes, there are some which are a bit lower than that. But I'm finding with most of my clients that I'm dealing with, they are in the region of about 25,000 for the, you know, for the reasonably good retirement villages for their frail care. And bear in mind, that is for one person. So if it's, a, if it's an elderly couple, you're looking at about 50,000 rand a month for frail sure. care. And of course, then they've still got on top of that pay for their medical aid. They've still got to pay for things that could be things like nappies. It could be any other any other thing that they get up to that they need to pay for. So these are couples who are having to find about 60,000 rand a month to be able to live in frail care. My goodness. And I can tell you there are not many couples who can now afford that sort of thing any longer. So it it does require a lot of financial planning um, and it requires years of financial planning to get yourself into a position that you can afford that. Kirsty, I just want to take a message from uh, Anne who'd message in and says that my friend's husband has Alzheimer's. They have money in an investment but she can't get the money without her husband's signature which is impossible uh, any advice on what she can do yeah um, it, it was Anne I think you said mm. and it's unfortunately the saddest thing here is that it's, it's an expensive route to follow but I'm going to recommend that you meet with an attorney who deals with curatorship Okay, there we go, Anne. Hope that helps. Um, Penny says, who's got 60,000 rand a month in your twilight years? Yeah, I mean, really. That's the point, Penny. Yeah, exactly. Sure. And this is why so many elderly people are actually suffering so badly because they haven't been able to make the plans, for whatever reason it is, to have that sort of money. But... That's the figures. So, you know, those are the figures. That's yeah. what it's costing. You know, you do, do your homework and you'll see that's what it's costing at retirement villages when they're in full frail care. Assisted living is generally a little bit cheaper than that, but once they get past assisted living and can't just cope with that and they've got to go into full frail care, we're looking at an average of 25,000 rand a month. Sure. Penny also says, Hi, Sarah Jane, I've come in at the end of this important conversation. Uh, will you be podcasting it? We certainly will. You'll find it at Cape Talk. Go to podcasts and go to Sarah Jane King. Uh, Kirsty, we are fast running out of time, but just finally, can parents transfer assets to their children before they pass away so as to reduce estate expenses? Mm. Okay, well, one can. One can do that. But sadly, you can't do all that much, okay? Now, for example, every person can donate up to 100,000 rand per year to somebody else, okay? And that includes their children. 
All right. So between spouses, there's, there's no donations tax, but as soon as you could donate to anybody else, including your children, there's a 20% donations tax if you're donating more than 100,000 rand a year. So sadly, there isn't all that much that one can do. Sure. Great deal to think about, um, uh, especially, you know, about if one tries to take on managing your parents' wealth. And I can see why it's uh, very important. I really can see why it's important to have a professional helping with this. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely right. You need a professional without a doubt. But if I can just say my last comment on the matter is I really believe that in every area of discussion that you have with your parents on this, I think you, it's so important that you treat your parents with compassion, gentleness, will achieve so much more than barging in and turning the world upside down. Yeah, absolutely. An important conversation, as Penny said, and we thank you again, Kirsty, for uh, for a great conversation.